I want to share with you a basic model, an approach that helps me understand where people are coming from. This biblical model dips beneath the waterline of human behavior into the mysteries of motives and inclinations of relational styles. I will give you the bare-bones statement and then spend the rest of our time unpacking it. So let's pray and invite God's Spirit into this space of our interaction and go from there. Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comes alongside in our relational afflictions to give us guidance, even this morning, that we might understand you and ourselves as your image better, so we might love and glorify you more mightily. For Jesus' sake, always for Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's the phrase. Dynamic is indicative of a relationship offered revealing a story redeemed. Got that? Here it is again. Dynamic is indicative of a relationship offered revealing a story redeemed. Our dynamic, our vibe, the way we come across How we are experienced by others is a significant part of our imago Dei, the image of God. God, being a relational God, is experienced. God is an intellectual, volitional, emotional God. And all of those qualities buttress the fact that he is relational. In Romans 1.16, it says that one way he is experienced is this. The good news is the power of God to salvation. Power, in Greek, is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamic from that word. It means the way he comes across, how he's experienced. He is experienced as a pursuing deliverer to all those who believe. This is the good news. He is a God of revelation, exposing his glory as righteousness, his goodness in relationship through faith, beginning to end. And we, as his image, being relational beings, are also experienced. We, too, are intellectual, volitional, and emotional beings, buttressing the fact that we are relational. Others sense our vibe. They read us, certainly at an unconscious level. Everyone gets this. Life is existential. And our dynamic indicates what we're offering in relationship, whether it's deep or shallow, caring or aloof, open or closed, empathetic or apathetic. We all have relational designs, but our fears dictate just how close we're going to allow someone, what we're going to give in relating. We were given not a spirit of fear, Paul told Timothy, but of power. That's our word, dynamic. 
and then it's followed with love and a sound mind. And he tells him this in the context of telling him his story. He says, I know your mom and your grandma, Lois and Eunice, and I remember your faith and how you got it. Story is important. He says, I remember the gifts you received when I laid hands on you. Now fan into flames that gift. I see this as implying that his gifts come out of his story. When I am experienced as one who has something to give out of my redemptive story given in love, I get the sound mind. I see those three items as sequential. So, our dynamic is indicative of a relationship offered. This reveals something about a person, the foundation of their movement toward others. It reveals just how much they see that God has or is redeeming their life, just how much value God is placing on their story and what they actually have to offer. If God's story, the Bible, is an historical redemptive narrative of God's people, then God's people would have an historical redemptive narrative too, right? If God is always up to something good for his own, then that means he's providing purpose for the pain in the lives of his children. If it's true that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, then we should never allow regret to inform our sense of personal history. There is no room for this in the life of a believer. God redeems story. If I take a worthless piece of ink-laden paper to the store and give it to the grocer, he or she gives me something of value in return. This is called redeeming the coupon. When God takes our seemingly and apparently worthless story and redeems it, he gives it profound worth and value in the use of his kingdom for his glory. The God who created time is the God of timing. He does all this at just the right moment. This, by the way, was Jesus' experience. I am getting all this from the movement of his life. He knew the redemption of his story. From Philippians 2, we see that he emptied himself of glory and ended up in the grave as he condescended on our behalf. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is redemption. And since Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief throughout his life, and 
that he learned obedience through that which he suffered, he leaned on that redemption, giving his life in relationship to others. He knew what he had to offer, not on his own strength, but through faith from his story. He never went into denial nor despondency, but deepened his dependency on his heavenly father. He had much to give and he gave it. Starting with John. I I love the image of John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, who reclined on Jesus' chest after having his feet washed, hearing a heartbeat, which in 24 hours would cease to beat forever. What an intimate gift. Then Jesus was also close with Peter and James. Then the other nine. Then the family and friends of the twelve. In concentric circles, Jesus developed close relationships. And out of those relationships, Jesus was experienced by others. He had a dynamic, a vibe. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He was a man of deep invitation, deeply pursuing for the sake of others, inviting them into their stories to intersect with his. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. My heart is gentle and humble. His experience of being inviting was so powerful that a woman who was bleeding for 12 years and actually belonged outside the city not only came into the crowd but touched not just a man but a rabbi. The scandal, the power of that kind of dunamis, that kind of dynamic is what we were designed for. The more Christ-like we become, the more human we become. And the more human we become, the more dynamic we possess as we essentially reflect God more. You heard my story last night, those of you who were there. My story was all regret. I saw no redemption. I did not see how God could possibly use my shame nor my suffering. So I stuffed it down. So my story redeemed was nothing, with, which meant the relationship I was offering out of my story was nothing. I was blind to the gifts that come out of a redeemed story. I got nothing, you get nothing. So no relationships. And so my dynamic was nothing. Story dead. Relationship dead. Dynamic dead. So I was almost dead. But now, my spiritual gifts of teaching, discernment, and empathy that are directly related to my sin-filled, shame-soaked story create the ability to offer deep, transparent, and rich relationship 
I, I told a story of my Christmas morning handshake last night. Essentially, when I got excited about a present I received, I ran to my mother and hugged her. And when I ran to my father to embrace him, he stopped me dead in my tracks. He held out his hand as if to shake the hand of his five-year-old son, exclaiming, men don't hug, men shake hands. From then on, I vowed to read this man and other bullies who would come my way. I would figure out what they wanted before they knew what hit them. I could read people well, self-protectively, and I learned how to manipulate well with this talent. But God redeems. What do I do now for a living? <laughs> I read people. But now I do so from a place of love to help them in the service of building the kingdom. The gift of discernment is the redemption of that sinful strategy. I can invite people to risk entering into their own story and then intersect with mine. The joy and thrill of that is more than I could have ever asked or thought. Redemption. Don't get me wrong, I have a long, long way to go in my sanctification, but I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So what is to be done? We don't necessarily spend energy trying to change the way we come across. That's akin to applying wax apples to orange trees. No, change occurs when the fruit of redemption happens. God does that when we renew our minds according to our narratives and transformation happens. The dynamic then becomes the fruit of the Spirit, you see. And the fruit of the Spirit is all relational. It creates deep and rich community. So look into your stories. Write them down. Let them affect your heart as your heart is the seat of movement. Storytelling is art, and art opens the heart. That's why the Bible is not a series of lists or rules, but stories. Listen to the Spirit as he guides you into them and exposes how life felt and what you did to avoid the pain within. Don't attempt to wriggle out, but wait upon him to reveal his purpose. Take all the time necessary. He is in no rush. He is a God of revelation. He has always invited his people into their stories to expose them to where he is in them, to show them that suffering is a gift. We have been granted to partake of the sufferings of Christ. It is there that we are both reconciled and redeemed, both drawn to him and used through him.
like his son. He wants us to rely on him and not ourselves, but first he must expose those strategies to grant the gift of repentance, which begins the redemption. And remember, it's not all or nothing. It's small steps of movement. Those who are faithful in that which is least are faithful also in much. Our worship informs our walk, our work, and our witness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Show us how you want to redeem our stories and use us more mightily for your kingdom. Help us know where we've come from that we might come across like Jesus, offering relational rest to those around us. Shalom. Keep us from regret and grant us the gift of repentance that we might move toward you and others in life-giving and life-getting ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Thanks for that. Yeah, what, 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 what did that uh, strike in you? What did you want to hear Jim talk about more, clarify, questions you had, things that made you curious? How does shame fit into the whole scenario? One of the major components to our story of regret is shame. Our shame, that sensation that we have little or nothing to offer, is one of the first areas that God seeks to redeem, to give value. Hmm. Right? Our shame that we seek to relive rather than relieve, that we reinforce because it gives me the self-justified excuse to, give to get back at others and give in to my sin, to go for self-contempt that I'm worthless. God wants to redeem that. He wants to expose it and redeem that so that I get to repent of that. Jesus endured the cross despising the shame and has now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. We don't have the luxury, quote, end quote, of shame any longer, right? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but shame functions. Shame functions for us because it keeps us from moving forward. Redemption pushes us forward to glorify God and to love others. So shame keeps us from knowing our story, entering our story, and moving forward in a redemptive story. Does that help? Great. Yeah, Nancy. Along same lines, does, does regret shame does how do regret and shame interplay? Yes, both. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. 
the more shame I experience, the more regret I will have. The more regret I will have, the more ashamed I will be. It is a vicious cycle. Practically, what does repentance look like when it comes to shame and regret? Yeah, I get to... Shame produces self-contempt. There are three basic areas of self-contempt. Right? Shame informs how I deal with me. So self-contempt functions as shame informs it. So it would be like this. Um... If I'm putting me down, it hurts less if you put me down. So that's one way that self-contempt functions, right? If we get into a boxing match, and please, let's not, <laughs> right? You, you hit me with an, we're punching each other, and you hit me with an upper right jab. I go down to the mat. I'm going to get back up and fight again, right? And then we're punching, and you hit me with a lower left hook, and, and, and since those are the only two boxing terms I know, I'll stop there, right? But I, eventually, I'm going to stay down on the mat. Why? It's safer down there. It may not be comfortable, but it's safer. That's the function of self-contempt and shame. Shame informs the self-contempt, and it just is safer, right? We're not called to safety. We're called to die to ourself in the, in the economy of loving others. But that's one way, how I deal with myself, right? Secondly, it, so that diminishes the feelings of shame, self-contempt. It also helps me deny um, longings of love for others, right? Groucho Marx, some of you may remember good old Groucho Marx. He said, why would I join a club that would have me as a member, right? If I can put me down, I can gain the excuse to not love you because if I were to actually give you out of my story, give you out of my heart, give you out of my life, now you have real ammunition to reject or abandon me. And I don't want that. So self-contempt keeps me from moving toward you and taking risks to love and be loved by you. So shame informs self-contempt that protects me, which is, again, not what I am called to do by Christ. Okay? Thirdly, and most insidiously, it demands control. Self-contempt, if I just weighed less, if I just had a smaller nose, if I just had more hair, if I just could stop doing such and such, then I could have life apart from God. That's idolatry, right? All I need out of life is blank, and whatever you fill in that blank with is your God. That's how I deal with God. So self-contempt functions in three ways, me, others, and God. And shame informs all three of those. Self-contempt is a repentable offense. Shame informs self-contempt is repentable. 
God gives the gift of repentance so that I might acknowledge the dignity I'm sorry, I'm ignoring everybody over here. The dignity with which I was designed and created that I have something to offer others in love, that's the second part, and to the glory of God, that's the third part. Right. Yes, Steve. Yeah, so you're helping people sort of re-narrate a story to move from a story that's focused on self-protecting into a story with God. So practically speaking, how, how do you help that? Yeah, I, 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 try to get, I try to expose them to why and how it's not working for them, right? Just where, how, and why it's not working. You're setting yourself up for more despair more despondency, more depression. What I have to do a lot of times with people who are depressed is actually make it worse before I can make it better. Do they love you for that? Sometimes. Well, I, I was, okay, so practically speaking, so, so Jim is my therapist, so, um, and it's only taken a couple of years to work through all the stuff you just dropped out there, but... Um, because I'm a slow, I'm a slow burn baby. Um, but in a, in a particularly difficult relationship that I've had a lot of fear and like mo having agency in that story, I, I mean, one day I said, well, I, I fear that if, if, I, if I say, hey, this is what I'm expecting from this relationship, that the relationship will end, that the person will end the relationship. And Jim's response was, well, I'd hate for you to lose this amazing relationship that you have right now, you know, which you know, felt cruel in some way, um, but it was, it was like, what's, what's the catalyst going to be for a richer, fuller, more beautiful relationship? Um, and, and like, so that's some of that, like, it was like, a, it, it felt wounding in a sense. That's me, this is a personal testimonial, but. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, what, what, the wounds of a friend compared to the kisses of an enemy. I, I'm not there to make people happy. I'm there to get people to glorify God by the direction of their life. And if, and if friends or family have become idols, I, I, I have to speak into that. I get to speak into that because I love them. I want to love them well. Helping them, yes. Right. We are not victims. I, I mentioned that last night. We are not victims. We are not conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And so much of secular therapy takes people to where they have been victimized and leaves them there. 
But that's where we develop the self-protective strategies so that we don't hurt anymore. But if we can see that hurt as an actual gift where we rely on God more and we get redemption and we get to glorify God and that's where life is found, we are more than conquerors. Can I, can I ask about, I see you, Rachel. Um, I, I think, like, for me, I feel like the self-protective strategies I have to avoid pain feel like the best available thing. Like, that feels like that's going to be life compared to what, you know, what I would have. So what is God offering that's better than avoiding the pain by self-protecting? Like, why would I want to go to him for what he's offering? You're saying there might be, I'm, I'm going to have to move into that pain and grieve it. So what's God offering on the other side of that? Shalom, shalom, peace and safety, internal peace and external safety. God is, God, God promises that. The fruit of the Spirit, I think, is the culmination of that. If we seek to salvage our psyche, if we seek to save our life, the word life is the word psyche, if we seek to save our life, we will lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, we will find it. There is the promise. But for his sake, there is the worship aspect. And we need to expose ourselves and each other to how we are seeking to salvage our life, our, our psyche, our hearts, our purpose. Right? If we seek to save it by being nice, by being compliant, by being, by being pleasant, by being tyrants, by, I mean, all, we all have strategies of self-protection, right? By being little boys or little girls, right? We all have these strategies of self-protection. And God guarantees you're going to lose your life that way. You're not going to find what you're really looking for. But if you, if you lose it for my sake, then you're going to find it. So to the flesh reap decay and corruption, but so to the spirit, life is available. And my job is to show people life is ava available, but the way you're moving now, you're not going to find it. Mm. Yeah, Rachel, and I saw Robin, you had a question too, so yeah, Rachel. That's a great question. So just to summarize, and I cannot summarize y'all's questions because they're much better, but sometimes it's like there's a feeling, of, there's a sense of numbness of I'm not feeling anything. Then the feelings I can experience can be shame or anger. That feels like more life than the numbness that I'm experiencing, but it doesn't feel like goodness can kind of break through to that. Can you speak to that? That's a really good question. 
understand that everything functions within us. It always functions. So there's, whether it's naivete or whether it's numbness or whether it's uh, um, whatever, um, it's functioning. And I think it's really important that we understand that God, um, God is, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance and numbness gets to be repented as well. And I think we start our days with search me, O God, and know my heart and, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Numbness is a commitment not to feel and God wants us to experience our humanity to its fullest. Mm. And numbness is a commitment not to feel. Mm. And in small steps of movement, I think we get to move away from the numbness, that, that commitment to shut down. So say more about the word repentance, because when you, when you, when Jim says sin or Jim says repentance, we file it through categories that are not what he's saying necessarily. So, so what right. that can, Sorry. what that can sound like is just stop being numb. No, 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 please don't hear me. So when you say, say repent, stop it. <laughs> when, when you say repentance, what do you mean? slowly, ever so slowly, making movement toward God, um, metanoia, changing our mind, noose, the word is noose, N-O-U-S, it means um, consciousness, changing your consciousness, changing your mindset, renewing your mind, but it's more than, it's more than mental, it's consciousness, changing your whole mindset, your whole approach to life, that I will feel little by little what is before me because Jesus has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. He will be available to me. He will get me through it. Feeling a little more today than I did yesterday, just a little. Like I, like I said, He's not in a hurry. It's not all or nothing. It's never all or nothing. I don't believe in stop it. I, I don't believe in that at all. So when I say repentance, I'm talking about gradual movement. Yeah, Robin. Right, so she, so I'm just repeating it. So you found Jim. Y'all are uh, soul brother soulmates. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, going from numbness to to grief, the the experience of sorrow. How does that play in? Yeah, that, that and that's what I was talking about last night. Is when my wife came home from the grief conference as I was about to commit suicide. Um, Grief set me free, the ability to no longer regret 
my shame, but to grieve the loss. Entering into the existential reality of loss allowed me to see Jesus' fingerprints on all the pages of my story. That what the enemy meant for my harm, God meant for my good. God was saying, I see your evil to the enemy, and I raise it a redemption. I am neither threatened nor intimidated by your wickedness. I allowed that to happen because now I'm going to use it and turn it upside down, and I'm going to give him gifts from it and out of it so that he will help use your evil to build my kingdom. Take that. Hmm. Yeah, other thoughts, questions? Yeah, Rob. Oh. Talk about forgiveness being a gift. Yeah, forgiveness for us or forgiveness from us to others. Repentance, oh, oh, repentance being, being a gift. gift. Yes. yes, yes. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, it is a gift. The ev- uh, it's an evangelical grace according to our confession, the Westminster Confession. It is a, a, a gift from God. I, I like to say I don't know how much I agree with It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. Right, it, it, it is something um, we get to start making that kind of movement um, because of his grace. As I, as I am exposed to where I have missed the mark, relationally speaking, where I'm exposed to my sin, I get to start making movement away from my sin, which is risky, which is why repentance needs the faith to inform it. I need, and faith is worship. I believe wherever you see the word faith in scripture, you can transpose the word worship. I trust that he is worthy. That's faith and worship, right? And so as I trust his worth and trust that he has made me who he has designed to be, I can start risking what it's going to take to love others. Because now that I have something to offer, I'm giving ammunition to people to really reject or abandon me. And I know that's going to hurt. I look back in my story and realize that really did hurt badly. That, that was terrible. That's when I know why I'm self-protective. That's what I'm protecting myself from. But because of faith, I can, I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That's why there is fear and trembling. I get to move knowing what I'm risking, and repentance allows me to risk that very thing by faith. God's worth it. Jesus is worthy of my movement into the lives of others. And if I'm rejected, I know it feels like it's going to be a thousand-foot drop and I'll break a neck and kill myself. It won't be. It's a ten-foot drop, right? I'm not going to break a neck. I'll break an ankle. It's going to hurt, but I'll survive. And if I don't survive, 
I get to see Jesus face to face. It's a win-win. We got like two more minutes. Other questions or thoughts? You're feeling? Is suffering really a gift? Suffering is the way that God makes us holy. It's the way that God has chosen in this life to sanctify us, to set us apart, to cause us to grow and conform us into the image of his son. Um, when, he, when Paul said, we have been granted to partake in the sufferings of Christ, the word granted comes from the word charis, which means gift. We have been gifted to partake in the sufferings of Christ. That's how God grows us. That's how God makes us like Jesus. That is definitely a gift. Um, Good question. Yeah, last one. It'll come for me. Um, what is the purpose of feelings? Like, we have them. They happen. There's, in some sense, uncontrolled from within us. So what are they good for? What do we do with our feelings that we're feeling constantly all the time? Ultimately, I believe it is to reveal a God who is gloriously emotional. They point to this God, and they give us expression. Um, they give us um, a way to, uh, to relate to the world around us and the people around us, but especially to praise God. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you, you brother. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you.